Good morning. It's January 29th. It's a gray morning in New York City, and this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. The lead story in the New York Times, in a single column, is something that people don't seem to be talking about much online, but the headline is, Three U.S. troops die as drone strike hits Jordan base. Twenty-five others are injured. Attack from Iran-backed militia may deepen Mideast conflict. This would seem to be that red line that the Times was writing about last week, in which the question of whether we escalate into a regional war depended not on what our various proto-adversaries did or didn't do, but on how successfully they did it. So now some unspecified militant group, which President Joe Biden said yesterday was backed by Iran, managed to successfully hit what the Times describes as a remote logistics outpost in northeast Jordan called Tower 22, where the borders of Syria, Iraq, and Jordan converge. The one-way attack drone, the Times writes, hit near the outpost's living quarters, causing injuries that ranged from minor cuts to brain trauma, a U.S. military official said. Seems like the actual range was from minor cuts to death. And now the United States has to figure out how to retaliate or respond to something that, as the news analysis story inside the paper accompanying the jump says, was not fundamentally different from what American forces have seen for more than three months. The whole red line concept is built around the idea that there's some identifiable opponent escalating hostilities from a specific direction, so that when they push too far, there's a way to push back. Instead, there's just a fog of abstractions. As the news analysis piece says, the question Biden faces is whether he just wants to react to events in the region or whether he wants to send a bigger message that attempts to restore a sense of deterrence that just hasn't existed in the region for months now, said Brian Katulis, a senior fellow at the Middle East Institute who worked in national security positions under President Bill Clinton. I'm sure they're looking for some kind of Goldilocks response here, he added, meaning not too hard, that it provokes a full-fledged war, not too soft, that it just prolongs the conflict, but something that just seems right. Yeah, uh, the thing about Goldilocks is it's a fairy tale, and the thing about a bigger message, or a sense of deterrence, is that neither one of those things is a concrete military objective. All military action can do is blow things up and kill people. And if you don't know which things you need to blow up, or which people you want to kill, then what are you doing? Next to the drone strike story on page one is the latest development from Israel and Gaza. Dossier details alleged actions of aid workers. The news is that Israel, immediately after being ordered by the Court of International Justice to allow relief into Gaza, announced that its intelligence says that 12 members of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency were involved in the October 7th attacks on Israel. The United States and seven other countries responded by suspending aid payments to the agency, even as the 2.2 million people it serves in Gaza face starvation under the Israeli siege and bombardment of the territory. Some numbers to provide a little context. The Times notes that UNRWA is one of the largest employers in Gaza, with 13,000 people, mostly Palestinians, on staff. Again, the Israeli dossier has accusations against 12 people of the 13,000, which would be less than one-tenth of one percent of them, which seems like a remarkably narrow basis for cutting off the agency's funding. Another number to consider is that as of the beginning of this month, the UN reported that 142 workers for the agency had been killed by the Israelis. That number is not mentioned in the Times story, but it is more than 10 times the number of people accused in the report. The Times does say that two of the 12 accused people are dead now, according to the UN, which would leave 148 workers killed by the Israelis who have not yet been accused of any crimes. 
Down toward the bottom of page one, there's a news analysis piece. On trial, Trump uses the courtroom as a stage, describing Donald Trump's outbursts and his flouncing in and out of the courtroom at various times during his civil trial for damages in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case as something that showcased his disdain both for a legal system seeking to hold him accountable and for the protocols of courtrooms where he has little control. The thesis of the piece is that this is all intentional. In the Carroll case and his civil fraud trial, the story goes, Mr. Trump, who has long conflated legal problems with public relations problems, quickly sought to use both courtrooms to get across his own message in the midst of his presidential campaign, a tactic that created a tense environment. But then the story pivots to saying, at times in both trials, the stress on him and his anger at allegations that cut to the heart of his character and his public persona as a billionaire business magnate seem to show. Maybe, just possibly, the reason that he's fidgeting and blurting things out in the courtroom, as, as recorded in fairly tedious detail in the piece, is that he can't control himself, rather than that he's executing a public relations strategy. Certainly the most immediately available segment of the public, the jurors who awarded $83 million in damages against him, were not impressed. That is the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going. And if all goes well, we will talk again tomorrow.